First reading is taken from uh, 2 Corinthians. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you have promised. Then it will be as be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will be abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few pence. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, if you hadn't guessed by now, the theme of our service this morning is on giving. And in particular, on giving of our resources, and our, including our financial resources. And if you're a visitor here this morning, then please hear me loud and clear. I'm not preaching, I'm not preaching to you to ask for your money, okay? If you're a visitor to, to St. Matthew's, that's not what I'm doing. But you might be interested in what I have to say. Fourteen years ago, I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I haven't been a vicar all my life. In fact, I haven't been a believer all my life. But 14 years ago, I found faith. And I realised soon after that, that that part of being a Christian, part of the Christian life, is to commit to a local expression of church. And at the time, because I'd attended something called the Alpha Course there, I joined a church called Greyfriars. It's in the middle of Reading. And that was wonderful. And after a year, 
or so, I started to give some of my time and my talents, if you like, to help the church with various things, like running, um, running these alpha groups, these alpha courses on a Wednesday evening, um, and various other things. And I loved it. I, and I was just very excited about my newfound faith and uh, helping in different ways that I could. But it began to occur to me, uh, there seemed to be a bit of a conundrum, because the church had quite a large professional staff team, and that must have meant a big salary bill. And there didn't appear to be any obvious channels of income that might meet this salary bill. And, uh, and to be honest, I just let that mystery hang there for several months. And I eventually asked someone in the church, I said, where does all the money come from to pay for the running of the church? And they just said very simply, well, we all pay, well, most of us pay by monthly standing order to, to, to help towards the running of the church. And that piece of news dropped like a bombshell onto the joy and excitement of my newfound faith. <laughs> because I suddenly realised that I had to face up to the fact that I might have to play my part in sharing some of my money with the church family in order that it could run. And I wasn't very happy about that. I was quite worried about that. If I had to give up some of my money to the church, then, well, what would I have to give up in order for that to happen? Uh, I later was to learn about, uh, from uh, of a, a chap called Martin Luther, who was one of the great church reformers, a German, at the time of the Reformation. And, uh, and Martin Luther used to say that there are three stages of Christian conversion. There's conversion of the head when we come to believe in God through Jesus Christ. We believe in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. There's conversion of the heart when we come to love Jesus and to love God and to know his love for us. And then there's conversion of the wallet when we actually put our money where our mouth is and do something about it. And the problem was that that summed me up exactly at the time. That was me. I believed in my head. I loved God in my heart. But I was extremely reluctant to go anywhere near my wallet. But the interesting thing was, as I read the New Testament of the Bible, and I read the stories of Jesus, I suddenly noticed that Jesus taught on the subject of money more than almost anything else. It's surprising, isn't it? But if you, if you open the New Testament of the Gospels, within three pages you'll find Jesus teaching in, about some aspect of money. Why is that? Why did he do that? Well, I think it's because he knew the human condition. And that is that money has us in its grips. Many of us. And to be honest, whether we're rich or poor or somewhere in the middle, it doesn't make much difference. Money tends to have a hold on us. We worry about it. We, sometimes we hoard it. We keep it for ourselves. Sometimes we just spend it on ourselves. But it seems to be an unnatural thing in ordinary human beings to just give it away. And Jesus said there's a remedy for this. And he, and he taught this. He said, that, he said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because wherever you have your treasure, that's where your heart is. That's what you really, really care about. And he said, you cannot love God and money. And 
The good news is that there's a remedy for this hold that money has on us. That, in other words, if we start to give generously, money loses its grip on us. And we have a generous God. Joe talked about that earlier, who's given us life, breath, family, friends, all that we have. And as Christians, we're called to reflect the generosity of God. And this is exactly what happened in the New Testament, when you read about Jesus' ministry and about the growth of the early church. Um, Jesus and his disciples, um, we're told um, in Luke, were supported by a whole number of different followers of Jesus. Mary Magdalene, um, there was a woman who was the wife of the house manager of Herod, interestingly enough, um, and there were many others. And it says that they gave out of their resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So, in other words, it's simple. Those who have resources pay for the ministry and the mission of the church. That's the way that it worked. And in the book of Acts, we read in Acts chapter 2 that all the believers shared everything they had together, which is a wonderful picture. People shared whatever they had. And so we have a generous God and our lives should reflect that generosity. But as I came to this realisation that I now had to sort of stand up to the mark and pull my wallet out and start contributing to the life and ministry and mission of the church, I then had another conundrum. How much? How much do I give? I don't know. I, I, I just didn't, I didn't know what, I didn't know if I was expected to give a certain amount um, or just a little bit or a lot or, or whatever. What was I to give? Well, our scriptures this morning are quite useful for this. Um, if we look at the first reading from 2 Corinthians, in verse 6, it's clear that whatever our means, we're to give generously. Um, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. So that's the first rule, is that we're to give generously. The second one is, though, that we're to give according to our means. And the gospel story that we heard today, that's the second reading, the short one on the next page, page seven, tells the story of when Jesus was watching people put money into the temple treasury with his disciples. And rich people were putting in bags and bags and bags of money, but this widow comes along, puts in a couple of copper coins, and Jesus tells the disciples that she has put in more than they have. Which is amazing, really. What did he mean? Well, he meant that she put in everything she had, everything she could. But those rich people who put in a lot more money, they probably had a lot more money anyway, and more on top of that. And so we're to give according to our means. That's another thing Scripture shows us. We're to give, in, back to the letter to the Corinthians, the first reading, in verse 7, um, we're to give cheerfully. Um, God doesn't want a reluctant giver, it tells us. But one of the things that I discovered is that, because I wasn't very cheerful about the idea of giving at first, one of the things I discovered is that we also have to give in faith. That if we do give away a little bit of our money, that God will make sure we still have all that we need. And that's a step of faith. And 
those steps of faith um, are shown in the sowing and the reaping and the blessing. So there's an equation. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. But if you give, in other words, sow generously, give generously, you will reap generously. And it says in verse 8, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times you will abound in every good work. When I first was thinking about this, um, in, in 2004, I had to make a decision whether to come out of my business life, where I was earning quite a lot of money, um, and start training for the ministry. And I knew that starting training for the ministry would mean an, about an 80% cut in my salary. I knew it would mean I'd have to sell the family house and downsize because we wouldn't be able to afford to pay the mortgage anymore. And a whole number of other things that we'd taken for granted in the past would go by the wayside. And do you know, I wasn't really bothered about any of that. But the one thing I was really bothered about was that we used to travel to South Africa regularly because it was like a second home. Kirsty and I got engaged there. We lived there for three years. Our first son was born... Our, our, first child, our son was born there. And I was really sad when I thought about it, the prospect of not being able to afford to go to South Africa. Extraordinary thing happened. After we'd taken the plunge and pulled the plug, as it were, within the first three years of trading for the ministry, by extraordinary coincidences, we were twice gifted two return tickets to Johannesburg. And so we got to see all our friends again. And it just felt like God was saying, thank you. I, you see, I can, still, I can still give you the things that you really want, even if it doesn't look like you're going to be able to. We just felt incredibly blessed by that. And there seems to be a kind of spiritual law here, that God loves generosity and that he blesses generosity. So, back to the question, how much are we to give? Well, we've already said that we're to give generously. But you might like to know what the actual need is here at St. Matthew's. And so here is the only bit of facts and figures I'm going to give you coming up on a slide. Okay. So this is uh, what mathematicians call a pie chart or statisticians call a pie chart. And it works like this. This is the percentage of our funds that we spend on different things in the church. So, And I'm going to start at 12 o'clock and work clockwise. So... 21%, the largest single element that we spend, is on our children's ministry. Because it's crucial for the children's future. And for the church's future. We've got a new generation of children growing up, you saw some of them here this morning, to hear about the love of God and a saviour Jesus who died for them. And, And in 15 years' time... They'll be starting to become adults and find husbands and wives and have their own children and so on. And so this ministry is absolutely crucial to the church. I really, I'm looking forward to the day, the first day that I baptise a child of one of our kids' church children. Now that is some time away and we don't want them to start too young, but I'm looking forward to the day when I baptise one of our kids' church children. Okay. And then, I'm sorry about this, but 20%, the second biggest, is clergy. That's me, the vicar, um, and partly Carol, our curate, um, and partly a little bit towards the the bishop and what have you. But if the church's mission is to go forward, then we need mission-focused leaders who need a roof over their head. 
So, I'm afraid that's the, that's the no apologies, <laughs> that's the situation. So, uh, moving on, uh, 11% goes on the actual cost of just running the plant here, the building and all that kind of stuff. 11% goes on music. When I say music, it says music plus, plus, plus. Because effectively, Adam, who was on the piano here, um, Adam works for us for two days a week. We pay him a salary for two days a week. And over the last three years, he's done amazing things. Three years ago, the church sang along to a CD player. Today, we have the organ, we have the piano, we have the guitar, we have the drums, we have, um, we have a mandolin, we have a violin. We have... And over the last three years, Adam's done a fantastic job building up the music team um, and so that we can play all different kinds of music. And he continues to do that, and that's wonderful. But I've put plus, plus, plus next to music because Adam also is our website manager, our uh, technical manager for the multimedia that we do in kids' church, um, and he's definitely uh, our sort of IT sort of support in the office. Um, what he's amazing, and and uh, and well worth his salary. So, um, eleven per, another eleven percent will go in 2015 on a youth worker. We haven't hired the youth worker yet. We're looking for a youth worker because. Our, kid, our children and kids' church are turning 11 and becoming too old for kids' church, and we need to have a youth group, discipleship group, in order to keep them going, strong in the faith, through their teens and into adulthood. That is a crucial part of our mission, and so that's uh, what we plan to spend um, 11% on youth. Um, and then there's the administration of the church. We have a wonderful administrator, Isabel, um, who works part-time for us. Um, there's the cost of the upkeep of the hall, although the good news about the hall is that although it costs to upkeep, it actually generates more income because we rent the hall out than it, than it does to, to, uh, to keep, as it were, which is great. 4% on other missional activities, really, things like the Alpha Course, things like um, actual events that we hold in order to just raise awareness of, 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 uh, um, of, our, of the mission. And then 7% is a whole lot of other things that are far too small to, to, to note down. So that's, that's the, the pie, if you like. And the total cost of that in 2015 is going to be £120,000. And if, with 90 adults on our electoral roll, um, if you were to do a very rough calculation, it very, very roughly comes to about £100 per adult per month in order to take forward the mission of the church as we feel called to do it. And so, if you wanted a figure to aim at, that would be a figure to aim at. Now, of course, of course, not everyone can afford £100 a month. Of course they can't. And that's not how the church worked in the New Testament either. Some people were very poor and couldn't contribute financially. They probably contributed in lots of other ways as well but they were unable to. And that is exactly how it is today. Those who have the resources will contribute more than their fair share, and those who are unable to simply can't. But perhaps you've never given to the church, and perhaps you might consider, as I did 14 years ago, starting to give a little bit. Or perhaps you have been giving for a little while, but maybe you'd like to reflect and think about whether or not you could commit to giving a little bit more. 
If you can't, you can't. In the Old Testament of the Bible, there was a kind of a rule, if you like, and that was all of the believers, all of God's people were, were, were basically expected to give 10% of their income. But in the New Testament, it wasn't like that at all. In the New Testament, some of them gave way more than that, and some of them were very poor and couldn't give anything like that. And so it is giving according to our means, but within that, giving generously. And I just would love to ask the church family today to um, take this um, resourcing the mission away with you. Um, I don't expect you today to, to sign up to, the, to the, this commitment. If this is helpful for you, do please use it. There's, a, um, there's, there's an opportunity to um, decide, if you like, a kind of level of commitment you might want to make. And there's one that you can hand in, put in the collection this week or next week, um, or whenever, whenever you like, um, and one that you can keep to remind yourself of what you think you want your commitment to be. Um, but I'd love you to ask you to do that. And the reason, it all comes back to what Joe said, really, at, at the beginning. When I, before I found faith, to be honest, I was a pretty, I was a bit selfish, really. I spent all my money on myself. In fact, my wife, Kirsty used to say, she often used to scold me and say, don't be so Scottish. Now, sorry if there are any Scots in the congregation this morning. But, but no, I'm half Scot, so I can probably get away with it. But, um, but, but, she, but she used to say that because, because I, I wasn't naturally very generous. But, you know, it is, faith is like a muscle. When you take a step of faith and you find that God is there for you, your faith grows. But if you don't use your faith, it tends to kind of shrink and it tends to, to wane. And um, there's a wonderful challenge that God gives us, if you like, in, in the book of Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And he says this. I'll finish on this. He effectively says, test me on this. He says, give generously and see if I will not open the trap doors of heaven and pour out my blessings on you that's his challenge to us. And the question is, will we take him up on it? Amen.